Japan has confirmed its first case of the Wuhan virus. It's the second outside China after Thailand. The infected person is said to be a Chinese citizen who lives near Tokyo. The man in his 30s had visited Wuhan, where the outbreak is believed to have started. From the Messenger Enquirer, I'm Don Wilkins. Owensboro native Justin Whittinghill is living in Japan as the coronavirus spreads across the world. And in this episode, Whittinghill talks about living in Japan and how that country seems to be, for now, keeping the virus at bay. Stay with us. This is Enquirer. Justin? Yes, hello. <laughs> All right. Uh, appreciate you uh, calling me. Uh, I guess it's pretty early where well, you're calling me from there in Japan, right? Yeah, no problem. Uh, we're at uh, well, it's 9 o'clock in the morning here. I uh, just got out of bed. Hopefully I'm uh, coherent. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's 7 o'clock here in, in, here in uh, Owensboro, Kentucky, so... Uh, on Monday, and it's Tuesday there, so you're literally living in the future, I guess, uh, in some respect. Yeah, yeah. So yes, sir, we're about a half day ahead of you. So, you know, you got, you've got you been writing a column, you know, from, from the Messenger Enquirer for uh, quite some time now, and we've always just corresponded uh, via email, uh, and, and, I, and I've mentioned before about, you know, possibly talking with you on the podcast, and... Uh, and I and I guess I I would rather it be under you know better circumstances, um, but I do want to get into before we kind of get into the coronavirus part of it, uh, I do want you to kind of give me some background as far as um, uh, you're. I know you're from here in Davis County, and um, and how how you got over to be in Japan and what you do there, and um, can you kind of give me some background before we get into. I guess the parts about the coronavirus that uh, that your column, uh, your past two columns are being about. I guess. Yeah, sure. Um, so I was born in uh, born and raised in Owensboro, and uh, I even uh, went to college there. I went to Kentucky Wesleyan and graduated. And I guess uh, after all those years in Owensboro, I just kind of wanted to branch out a little bit and see some of the rest of the world. So. Um, I uh, started looking at teaching English abroad. I had been an uh, English major at KWC and uh, found a company online that uh, taught English lessons in Japan, and I signed up. That was in uh, 2006. So I've been in Japan mostly uh, since that time, teaching in one capacity or another. I did move back to Vermont from 2010 to 2012 to get a master's degree, and then I came back uh, to work at a college, which is where I where I am now, uh, and that's the Kanazawa Institute of Technology. I've been there for about seven or eight years now, I guess. Now, what part of Japan is that in? Uh, it's in Kanazawa. That's the city uh, in the prefecture, Ishikawa. It's on the west coast, sort of directly across from South Korea, and it's about halfway down the country. Okay, so, so that would be... Uh... The Sea of Japan, essentially, where where that is, on that side of yes, the country. Yes, that's right. And yeah, and if you think about it uh, in terms of the latitude, it's almost exactly the same as Kentucky. We sort of have the same seasons and same weather and uh, same general climate here. Okay. So, and I know being that close, 
and and I don't know how they travel, you know, the traveling aspects, because I know the, you know, they're in North Korea, South Korea, uh, you have China, right? When I say right there, I mean they're still, uh, you know, several thousand miles, I guess, separating you. But I mean, you're a lot closer to to those uh, parts of the country than than we are. So uh, how do they? Do, is there common travel among those countries? Uh, you know, with Japan? Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, except for North Korea, of course, which is a bit more isolated. Uh, but. Yeah, uh, I've been to South Korea numerous times, uh, Taiwan numerous times, and um, I've never been to mainland China, but it's easy enough to get there. Everything is within, say, a two- or three-hour flight uh, from the prefecture that I live in. Yeah, and I guess the reason why I ask that is because, you know, the the coronavirus that started there in China and, and being so close to that, I mean, uh, when I think back a month ago when... You know, when you wrote that first column, it seemed like there was almost like a tone of fear to it. And then this latest one mm-hmm. seems to be a little bit more cautiously optimistic uh, about the situation there. So maybe talk about that initial column, you know, where you you, you guys seem to be kind of almost, well, at least near ground zero, uh, a lot closer to it than we were at the time. Yeah. Yeah, well, I uh, as I was writing that article, um, you know, I wrote it in the middle of February. It came out toward the end of February, beginning of March, and um, it's crazy how a month is a different time in history now. But um, at that time, you know, Japan had the Diamond Princess cruise ship uh, quarantined right off the coast, and they had had their first case back in the middle of January. So uh, things were kind of piling up because. You could see China sort of as the model, and, you know, China so quickly escalated into cases in the tens of thousands, and they locked down cities of millions of people, and it uh, sounded very dire, was very dire. So then I remember reading an article in mid-February that referred to Japan as the second most affected country in the world behind China, and that really set in with me, and I thought, so I guess we're on the trajectory of a China, and I, there was, you know, sort of a panic, uh, and I think that hit a lot of Japan. A lot of the rules came down, say the, you know, canceling sporting events and uh, delaying, um, you know, the beginning of a school semester, or uh, rather canceling the rest of the school semester, and things of that nature were all coming down as early as mid-February. So I think Japan was kind of bracing for, um, you know, tens of thousands of infections, like what China had experienced, what the U.S. has experienced now sort of an Italy or a Spain situation, and it really just never came, or I guess it's better to say it hasn't come yet, because, you know, it could really explode at any time. So uh, I guess this time around, um, I just finished an article uh, and submitted it to you yesterday, which was, um, well, for me, uh, March 23rd, and uh, we're hovering around a 1,000 infections, and um, it's you know, it's been just a trickle here. There's never been the, the outbreak and the, you know, uh, say countrywide lockdown that the United States has experienced. So we're all kind of wondering if there's a shoe left to drop or if we're in the safe zone or what's going to happen. Uh, nobody's got a solid answer for that. Now you, you um, I don't, I don't want to give away too much in your, in your column that you wrote because depending on whenever this podcast comes out, it may come out before... Uh, your column does, but mm-hmm. but I but I do find it interesting that you know you list these various theories in your column, and 
And and when it, when you think about, especially one of them to me stood out, is the fact they have this sort of natural social distancing that you talk about because they're not like Americans in the sense that, you know, Americans, it's almost natural for us to want to, you know, shake hands and there's that, you know, etiquette there and then, or to hug or be a lot more affectionate toward each other where I guess the Japanese do more bowing and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's exactly right. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's just that maybe that common image of Japan is actually true. Uh, You know, there's not handshaking and there's not uh, like sort of a casual hugging among friends. There's certainly nothing like, uh, you know, how we imagine like a European kiss on the cheek when greeting or something like that. It's pretty much just bowing. And then that might have cut out uh, you know, an enormous number of vectors of transmission. Uh, just the fact that people culturally, for generations, have been, they have it built in them that they're not going to touch each other as soon as they see one another. And I think that that's one of the, the many, many contributing factors to the spread of the disease, though. Because on the other hand, there are things like, um, you know, Tokyo, which is more populated than New York City and more densely populated than New York City. So you can't help but have people kind of on top of each other and in one another's personal space. So you would think that the virus should have transferred uh, by other means, you know, just through the air or people being within uh, a meter of each other or closer if you're crammed into a subway car or something like that. But um, the best guess of what I've kind of gathered through uh, what the media said about it, what we think about it, and what we've talked about it among, you know, my circle, is just that what Japan has in place culturally, like sort of that lack of physical contact, has maybe just been uh, something of a delaying effort that they kind of lucked into, and it's maybe uh, pushed it back a little bit, which is uh, which is great that it's delayed as long as people don't get a sense of complacency that they've actually, you know, got it licked, and then, if you'll excuse the, the word licked, I guess, but they've got it beaten, and um, then you start to get into a place where maybe there's a false sense of security that could come back to bite them if it ever does explode in a more major way. Well, I read something where, over there in China, it seemed like, I guess, there maybe it was Hong Kong, that they, uh, they seem to have leveled off, and then they relaxed, and then... And then they're seeing another spike over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know about the Hong Kong situation personally, but uh, it, it seems like something that can easily happen for sure. So, so back in a, a month ago, what, along along with some of this natural uh, things that they do, there, what did uh, Japan? What did they do? The things we're doing here? Do they shut down? Uh, you know, non-essential businesses and tell everybody to kind of stay stay at home, uh, not to travel, and you know, and uh, as far as in their uh, like large uh, well gathering areas where you know whether it might be a bus, or transit systems, or a train, or whatever. I mean, how did they handle this in the beginning? Um, they took sort of the. Uh, the kind of introductory measures, you know, how they come by in waves, more or less, and the U.S. has experienced a lot of those waves. Uh, and now, of course, you guys are uh, very much more on lockdown than anything Japan has experienced. So in the beginning for Japan, 
it was um, the cancellation of large events. Um, there was, uh, I believe, a birthday ceremony for the emperor, which was canceled so that crowds wouldn't, uh, you know, collect um, outside the imperial palace. There was the Tokyo Marathon. Um, they disinvited something like 38,000 participants from participating in that uh, back in February. So uh, sort of a uh, similar story to what the United States was doing a few weeks ago with canceling uh, or suspending the rest of the NBA season and other major sports leagues and, you know, concert tours and things of that nature. Uh, the other major step was that the prime minister, uh, toward the end of February, um, advised all school districts and the prefectures to uh, cancel school for the month of March, uh, which is the end of the semester for a Japanese school. And um, then they thought, well, we'll just cancel sort of the end of it and we'll pick up on April 1st when the next semester is supposed to uh, resume. So um, those were pretty much the two big things, but we never, ever got into anything like a, a major lockdown or a shelter-in-place order or telling people to not congregate in you know groups above 10 people and that sort of thing. As a matter of fact, just two days ago, I was driving uh, on a street downtown here, and I passed the Art Museum, which is a pretty big attraction for Kanazawa. It's got a big glass uh, face, and you can see directly into most of the Art Museum there. And there were hundreds of people just standing in the line, sort of snaking through, getting tickets and going through the art museum. And they're packed in like sardines. It was a three-day weekend, uh, and it seems to be kind of more or less business as usual here in terms of uh, going out and doing things. We didn't have any restaurants or bar closures or anything of that nature. So Japan is still in a relatively relaxed mode. Uh, things are even picking up again. School is supposed to start uh, in a week, and that seems to be on track. The uh, Japanese Basketball League is trying to, been hold, uh, trying to uh, be holding games again. So things are kind of coming back online around here, uh, which is worrying if there's, uh, you know, another outbreak under the surface, just, you know, waiting to make itself known. Now, what's the, what's the population of the city you live in? Uh, where I am in Kanazawa, it's, just under half a million people. It's about four hundred thousand. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's certainly not it's not a Tokyo, but it's uh, well, it's, it's a big urban area. Yeah, four times larger than than the whole county of Davis County. So. Um, yeah. And so you know we have uh, I believe they just announced as of today, eleven confirmed cases here in Davis County, um, uh, and and all of them seem to be non-severe cases in other words that you know they're self-quarantining they're not having to be hospitalized um so, you know so how are, how are you are you uh do, do you keep track of what's going on in Owensboro through the Mr. Inquirer's website or through other media means I mean how do you kind of keep track of and just in general what's going on in the United States um well uh there's uh kind of a wealth of information out there it seems to be the you know the main thing covered by all the news outlets so uh i uh you know i write for the messenger once a month but i keep up with it through uh what i can get from the messenger website and uh of course your podcast i've learned in the last couple of episodes about uh various aspects of it um also, uh, I believe your guest in the previous podcast or episode or maybe one before 
Um, he directed me to the uh, COVID-19 page that the Kentucky government yeah. has set up. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I've checked that to kind of keep up with the Kentucky numbers. Uh, you know, I refresh that every day. I think they put their new info up at 9 a.m. Uh, every single day. So um, that's pretty much been it. It's just sort of an online, uh, you know, checking the media that way. And I'll talk to my family here and there. But that about uh, does it for me, I think, on the media end. So you still have quite a bit of family back here in, in Owensboro? Oh, yeah. Um, my family was, um, I couldn't even tell you, maybe three, four, five generations back, uh, just all in Owensboro. So uh, it's, you know, all my aunts, uncles, parents, brothers, sisters, cousins, uh, the large majority of them are all based in Davis County. Yeah. Yeah, and and being far away as you are, I mean, I, I'm sure that's got to be concerning as well. I mean, you know, I know they say 80% of the people who get this, you know, will be fine. Um, but, you know, if you have older parents, uh, like, I, I mean, I do, my mom is still alive, and she's very much in her upper 60s and very much, you know, compromised uh, in some ways with her health. And so... Uh, and I've been and I've been trying to convince her to to limit where she goes, but you know it's hard to tell a upper sixty year old woman you know that she can't go anywhere you know. Um, yeah. But yeah. she's I think she's trying more than she was, but uh, so I, I just kind of wondered how that is for you, you know, being so far away from you know from your uh, close family members. Um, yeah, that's a good question. It's all. Um you know, setting in new sort of every day with every new decision and every new piece of information that comes down. Um, so uh, I guess I'm, I've said this for a month or so now, but I'm mostly worried about the elderly and the people with uh, some other sort of health condition. Mm-hmm. And so as far as my family goes, um, I've got uh, my grandmother lives right in the middle of Owensboro uh, in town there. And she's in her 80s, if she'll forgive me for revealing that. But um, she, uh, yeah, she reminds me of um, what you're saying about your mother and that she has her routines and she likes to go out to eat and do her own shopping. She's very independent, uh, goes all around town. And so uh, I think my dad there, uh, he's been kind of um, in the role that you are, trying to get convince her to stay at home. And uh, he does the errands and he brings the food to her and that sort of thing. So uh, I guess I, I have so many family members there in Owensboro that I feel like there's enough of them to take care of each other. And um, I don't worry too much. Uh, I do try and keep up with them uh, as best I can. Well, very cool. Now, are you, now do you have a, a family there yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm married. Uh, I've been married for about 10 years um, to a Japanese woman, Ayumi. Um, who's from this town, and so uh, about the same way I am with Owensboro, that's her for this city. Um, all of her family going back several generations has been based here, so uh, we've got, you know, my in-laws uh, are all through town here, uh, my wife's cousins and aunts, uncles, everybody's around. Interesting. So do you speak Japanese pretty fluently now, or...? Oh, that's a tough one. I've, it's uh, it's embarrassingly low for how long I've been here. It's um, uh, I've been here for about fourteen years. I took two years of Japanese in graduate school. I study every single day, and I would say that I'm at like an intermediate level. 
just because it's very complicated and I'm not young enough to absorb it all. But um, I, I work on it all the time. You sound like me with like uh, like when I'm trying to speak Spanish, and every time I try to speak Spanish, I I feel like I'm being condescending in some way. You know, trying to speak Spanish to somebody <laughs> who really knows yeah. how to speak Spanish. You know, uh, but uh, yeah. Anyway, well, absolutely. Um, well, very interesting, man. I I appreciate uh, appreciate your time and calling me in the morning, and uh, and hopefully maybe we can you know off and on do you know just kind of do these podcasts with each other and uh every now and then just to kind of catch up and what's going on over there because it is a very different culture very different part of the world and um to me you know it's very fascinating you know the differences between you know between your you know the culture you're living in now and of course the culture here so um yeah yeah i would absolutely i would love to um that's why i uh, started writing the article for the messenger maybe five or six years ago it's monthly and uh, in the beginning i had no idea how long it would go but now i'm 70 some odd articles into it and they're 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 just a wealth of ideas about the you know cultural differences and just this and that so um yeah there's a lot to talk about for sure yeah well very cool man well i appreciate your time and 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 you have a, a well i guess in your case a good rest of the day okay yeah, thank you very much, and you have a good evening. All right, take care. All right, see you later. And that wraps up our show for this week. I want to thank Justin Whittinghill for joining me. To send us questions or to provide feedback, email us at newscast at messenger-inquire.com. Remember, you can find us on the Messenger Inquire's website, Facebook, and Apple Podcast, where you can subscribe to Inquire. Until next time, I'm Don Wilkinson. Good day. For inquire.